0: this is josie brown with author provocateur in the plot of novelist meredith shore's latest rom-com someone just like you a pair of lifelong enemies lawyer turned recruiter molly blum and bartender jude stark may claim to hate each other but as shakespeare would say thou protestest too much The proof is that both invariably choose mates who are doppelgangers of each other. But when they're thrust together with a joint family mission, finding the venue for both sets of parents' anniversaries, the attraction is too strong to avoid. This is especially hard on Molly, who has been harboring a guilty secret. She ruined Jude's life in a way that has been haunting her for over a decade. Meredith and I discuss how she came up with her plot, how and where it parallels her own life, and what incidents she gave Molly that molded the angst that drives this character. The secrets of other members of their family are also revealed. Lots of fun and games, for sure. You have a wonderful premise with someone just like you. You've got romantic leads, the lawyer Molly Blum, and bartender Jude Stark, who grew up next door, both in families with three kids and in ages that almost exactly match up. Because of their proximity and age, they were playmates until the first grade. The reader finds out what happens that from then on made them mortal enemies. But I'm so glad you left that for almost like the end of the book, because I thought it was so revealing about childhood and friendships and tenderness and hurt. You know, you kind of had like this whole big ball of emotions there. And I really appreciated that. I didn't know up front why it happened. So when you came up with that concept, did you know what it was going to be? Did you know what turned the whole, you know, card upside down? And of course, they're now in their 20s, so it could have happened Mm -hmm. at any point in time too. But you chose that time in their lives.
1: I did not come up with that until later. I didn't have a reason. They just hated each other you know, and Molly didn't know why Molly didn't hate him. And suddenly he hated her. So I basically I had to come up with a reason. And that's how I I chose that. I thought it was realistic because I could see Jude reacting that way.
0: Yes, he's a very, you know, he comes off as the the Bombay kind of, you know, everything rolls off of me. But in reality, I think people where they hide their emotions have really deep emotions. And You proved that throughout the book, that he acts one way, but feels another. Mm -hmm. And I thought that that was a beautiful tribute to the male psyche. He
1: (laughs) cares deeply what people think of him, even when he, you know, walks around acting like he's totally cool with everything. And whatever happens, happens. But, you know, he cares what Molly thinks about him. He cares what his parents think about him. Yeah, he's sensitive.
0: You also have... um... You know, you set it up so that it is the epitome of, you know, one of the major tropes of rom-com, which is the love-hate relationship. I mean, this, everything that they do to each other is spiteful. (laughs) It's not, it's not kind. It's not kind in any way, shape or form. And they've known each other all their lives and they've been spiteful, you Mm -hmm. know, since childhood. I hope you didn't go through this with some guy. (laughs) No, no.
1: In fact, the whole, the Molly and Jude dynamic was inspired by I was the youngest of three, and I did live in a house across the street from our neighbors who also had three siblings, and our parents were best friends, and we were all of similar ages, but I was best friends with the, as the youngest, I was best friends with the youngest, I still am, her name is Ronnie, and I envisioned what it might be like if instead of being a girl, Ronnie was a boy, and instead of us being BFF, we hated each other. And now in our, you know, mid to late 20s, you know, when we should not have to hang out with each other anymore because we don't live across the street anymore. We're not kind of like the rugrats that everybody throws together. We're like grown people with our own lives Well, they're forced together again. And what would happen if hate turned to love at that point in their lives?
0: Right. And um, it's almost like a ratcheting up of the tension between the two of them because of the situation where they're doing a sort of a joint anniversary party for both their parents, you know, both Mm -hmm. uh, couples. And I love the fact that the moms and the dads are so close with each other personally, because that would be the case. You know, if you're raising your child and somebody else is raising a child of a similar age and you're, you know, living so close to each other, you're mm-hmm. going to make friends. You know, we had we had that situation, too, growing up where, you know, like our town was so little that everybody kind of knew each other. So it was kind of nice to find your your set. Yes you know, your your friends yeah, and that they have something in common. And, you know, and, and you could see what was happening with their kids, and you'd look out for their kids, and they'd look out for your kids, and you know, that kind of thing. So I, I thought that that was kind of a, a nice tribute to suburbia, mm-hmm. the suburban neighborhood, and the fact that, you know, the kids like to migrate, and, and you have both children, now adults, migrating into, quote, mm-hmm. unquote, the big city. But also, they live very close to each other. I mean, it's almost crazy that they live you know, a couple blocks away because yes. Manhattan is a very yeah. good place.
1: And in fact, I have Jude living in my old apartment that I just moved out of.
0: Ah. Oh. Jude lives with two other
1: guys. It's a luxury apartment, but people do. It's expensive. And young people actually do live in like a one bedroom with like three people. I did it, but a lot of my neighbors did. So I could totally picture Jude and his two friends and like makeshift Bedrooms in this big apartment, um, or not that big of apartment. But Molly, I pictured her there's an apartment, a couple blocks. It's a real apartment, and it's nicer, and it's a you know co-op, and it has private outdoor space. So I, she's there, her lawyer, and you know making money. And then him and his friends, who haven't grown up, or seemingly don't seem to have really grown up, they're all living together, just a couple blocks down. Because in Manhattan, yes, they only live like six blocks away. But Manhattan is so dense and there's so many people there that they might never run into each other. And they barely ever
0: did. Right, right. The other thing that I so enjoy, and you do this with every book, it's not just this book, but you kind of round out their universe of friends and family. You make everybody very layered. You don't like just have this one-dimensional mother or father or best bud or whatever. There's always like these layers inside of the characters. I especially appreciated, you know, her best friend who was, you know, so posh and so worldly. But at the same time, you know, she had this down and dirty side of her <laughs> and, and a vulnerable side. But the love between the two of them is there, as well as Jude with his roomies. You know, they're like guys, but they're layered and they're at the stage of their lives where they should be, you know, having some layers to them. And you kind of did that. You made it beautifully layered. Tell me your process when you're building out Jude's world versus Molly's world. Was Jude... um Did you think, oh, he'll have two roommates, not one? I mean, how do you come up with your whole process of world building?
1: Well, in this case, Alex and Jerry were existing characters from another work in progress that I was working on. I thought they would be great because they were transplants from L.A. They're a little bit on the dorky side, kind of a lot on the dorky side, but they're really good guys. And I felt like Jude is a little bit cooler, but he also has this... He's good looking and he's a bartender and he's a baseball player, but he's also a little bit dorky, a little bit goofy. And I just thought that they would round out really well together. And as far as Esther, I just wanted her friend to be British. I don't know why. I just I wanted her to be a British expat and I wanted her to be a little bit less straight laced than Molly. Who isn't really, I mean, she's not a prude, but she does do the right thing and she's a list maker and a people pleaser. And I wanted somebody who was a little bit, who who knew how to kind of loosen her up a little bit because in my previous book, As Seen on TV, I felt like it was the opposite dynamic, that Adina was actually a little bit cooler than Kate. You know, and I wanted it to be the opposite this time. I wanted like Esther to be a little bit more worldly.
0: Right. And, um, you know, Esther is more worldly, but she's not a stick in the mud. No. She rolls with the flow. She kind of steps in danger, I think, a bit more than Molly. Of the two, I think she would yes. be the dangerous yes. of the two.
1: Molly would have like 911 on her phone ready to call just in case, you know, and, and Esther would leave her phone at home if she had to. She just want to have fun.
0: Which, you know, leads me to another uh, question. Molly is someone who does everything by the book. And there's a reason why her personality is that way. And I thought you made a a beautiful um, transition as a human being for her from child to adult. She's had a bit of trauma that makes her not step out of the lane that she thinks she needs to be in. Um, Explain why you saw her that way and with someone who's so buttoned up, why it is so difficult for them to feel like you know, I have to be this way. She wasn't always like that. And yet you kind of drove her that way. And it kind of was the domino that made all the rest of the dominoes fall.
1: I wanted Molly to have this sense of responsibility that she really didn't need to take on. But nobody told her otherwise. You know, I mean, she was the youngest. Her her sisters were older than her and they didn't take her very seriously as a little girl. Because when you're that age, their age difference was like seven years, like I think five and seven, just like mine with my sisters. And I wasn't their friend, you know, like I was their baby sister. And so when her parents separated when she was younger, she kind of like had nobody to talk to about that. And she took on that responsibility. Like, I just have to make sure I'm the good girl. You know, I'm seeing my oldest sister is, you know, rebellious. And she's getting caught shoplifting and she's in this stage and she's making it really hard for my parents. And then Nicole is this needy one. She always wants to be around mommy and hold her hand and sleep in their bed. And they don't have any time for themselves because it's all about Nicole. And so I don't want to add to that is what Molly is thinking. I want to be the one who makes it easier for everybody. And that's just kind of like stuck. And especially when her dad did move back in a couple of months later and stayed there She's like, it's almost like a superstition. You know, I act this way and I don't do anything wrong. And look, he hasn't left again. So let me just continue that. And then, I mean, right. she wasn't constantly thinking about her parents staying together for the next like 10 years. But that just became a personality that like bad things don't happen when you just follow the rules and when you behave and when everybody's getting along. So I'm just going to keep doing that. So I won't rock the boat.
0: And yet this new event that she and jude have to plan for these two families kind of you know puts the tension on both of them to rock the boat but they have to rock their own boats before they can rock the family's boat yeah. <laughs> and by that i mean they're not kind to each other they're they're almost you know immature almost yeah i would crudely immature
1: i would say they're immature you know i don't think they're not cruel to each other they're just immature. And like Molly was ready to just let bygones be bygones, plan this party, get it done, get it over with. And then Jude had to, you know, go first and trick her into going to this bar that where they weren't expecting them. So she couldn't just sit there. And, and Esther goaded her. And how do you let him get away with this? So I, I feel like it sounds incestuous because they're, they become lovers, but it's almost like this sibling thing where when you go back with your siblings, you become the people that you were when you're younger. When I, I'm mm-hmm years old, and when I'm with my sisters in my family, I am the youngest child, I am the baby, and I revert right back there. And we all do. We all become that, that place that we were when we were younger, and it just happens like that without any thinking or any planning. And I feel like that's what happens with Molly and Jude. They are mature in their regular lives. They both have jobs. They're not walking around pranking all their friends all day long. They're good people, but when they get together, they revert to that childish place that they were in junior high and high school. And I don't think it's that unusual. You know, I think that a lot of people have somebody in their lives where, and you even say with good friends, I feel like no time has passed. We just went right back to where we started. That's a compliment with my friends. Like when I see you after a year, it doesn't feel like I haven't seen you in a year. We're like right back where we started from. And that's how Molly and Jude are. But Jude started it.
0: Yeah, Jude started it. I love that. You know, you're right. They take on a lot of responsibility in both their jobs.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And that's very obvious to both of them when they do see each other in action. Yes. And what I also loved in how you weaved your story together was that you allowed them to see each other in the workplace or have issues or conflicts. And yet the friend in them wanted to say, why are you putting up with that? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And of course, when their relationship changes, which in rom com, you know, you have your girl finds boy, girl loses boy, girl gets boy again. I saw your whole little, you know, Jenga on that. In my, it, I could see it as a well, Jenga mine in your is, mind How it? There's two. Like
1: mine, they, they girl gets guy, girl loses guy for something in the past. Girl gets guy back, girl loses guy again. Um, which is not a common, it doesn't follow, I guess, all the beats in the usual way, I guess, I don't know.
0: Which I'm glad it didn't. It was almost like you were getting a second season. Well, I didn't, honestly- you know, A second I season of the bear. Be, I didn't
1: want the reason <laughs> that they, I didn't want their biggest conflict to be something that happened in the past. You know, because once he forgives her, he forgives her. And I, and I like the stakes to be a little bit higher than that. This happened went by accident, I'm not gonna spoil it, but she, something happened. When they were in like 12th grade and she confessed this to him she had never told him before and i just did not feel like that would be enough to really break them up permanently because you know they were different people
0: so but she because she had been obsessing over it yeah in her mind it was the big thing yeah and he could use it and he did a little bit as a, you know, yeah. you did this, so blah, blah.
1: Throw it back in her face forever. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Which yeah. is what couples do. You know, no matter what happens, that's yeah. still going to be an issue. It may be a non-important issue, but it's enough of yeah. a chip that you can play it in another <laughs> poker game. <laughs> yes. you know. And I really do like the way that you kind of made them both adult about it but still hold on to things Mm -hmm. because we all do. But the true relationship works when you recognize why the other person may be holding on to something and you let it go because you know that it's their issue. And then if they see that you've let it go, then maybe they can let it go too. And I think you wrote that in really well. I mean, every book I've read of yours, which I've read all your books, as you know, every book I've read of yours, they're all different but they all have common commonalities. Um, You do a good world building. I love the wit of your your dialogue.
1: Thank you. And
0: that was another thing I was going to ask you about. I could hear you say some of this stuff. (laughs) I don't know if you ever had to say some of this stuff, either on a date or in a relationship or with your family, because all of the little chit chat is there. Thank you. So is that you? (laughs) Um... I mean, I've heard you, so I know some of this is you, but is that you with other people when you're not with me?
1: I think the family (laughs) dynamics were very easy for me. I have two older sisters. So those could be things that I've said, you know, one of my favorite scenes is when they're in the bathroom during the party and Jude's date walks in and the three of them are just like caught there they're talking about this woman and then she walks into the bathroom and the three of them have this awkward moment where they're trying not to laugh I love that because it was just sisters bonding in in ways that only sisters can you know so I felt like that came really naturally but no I mean some of the more clever dialogue I'd like to use the opposite way it wasn't some anything I've said before that I put into the book but now that it's in the book I'm like I'd like to use that in real life
0: you know isn't it funny what comes out of you when you're channeling a character? I mean, that came out of you because you were channeling somebody, but then you go, "Oh, that's kind of good. I've never said that before."
1: Thank you. I've gotten a lot of my reviews have said that they like the banter between Molly and Jude. So that's that's always nice to hear.
0: Yeah, and I can see why that would have been something that people would definitely come out and say, "Oh, this really works and here's how it works." Um I also felt like you know again your characters are mature enough even in their late 20s to realize certain things in their lives may or may not work out and you know molly had a different way of internalizing it or i should say jude had a different way of internalizing for example you know when girl and guy gets together because of their difference in personalities, you know, she's Miss Full Steam Ahead and play everything by the book and have the book. She creates the book. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, I let things happen. I network. I do this. I do that. And, you know, it's so un-her. So un-her. I know couples that have succeeded that way. And I have no couples who yeah. have failed that way. You know, that they're, you know, too much alike or not alike enough, I feel like you gave them both just enough to forward the conflict, as you say, the second loss, you know, girl loses guy again.
1: Well, I think for Molly, she was especially motivated to help Jude make his dreams come true, because she felt responsible for him not having his first dream. So even though he forgave her for that, she didn't necessarily forgive herself and she just wanted to help him make his dream come true. And she didn't really trust him to be able to do it himself because with Judy, he doesn't try. It just happens. And maybe he'd get lucky and it would just happen. And maybe it wouldn't. But why? Why put that to fate? Let's make this happen. Let's print out a hundred different articles and put it in a binder and make two of them, one for me, one for you. And, you know, make this happen. And Jude did not like that at all. You know, but Jude also admits later that he does need a little bit of a push sometimes. And Molly, you know, maybe she needs to rein it in a little bit and not push so hard but she comes from a good place. And as long as she realizes that she's coming on a little bit too strong and he realizes that he's not coming on strong enough that they can meet in the middle. And that's what I always wanted to happen. I didn't want either of them to change too much. I want them to still be who they are, but kind of just compromise and, and let go a little bit of their natural tendencies and just try to put themselves in the other person's
0: shoes. Exactly, exactly. I also like the fact that, you know, Though they had this, you know, hate-hate thing going, they were attracted to each other in the fact that all of their dates were essentially doppelgangers of <laughs> of who they were, which I thought was kind of hilarious. I mean, I thought that was hysterical. Thank you. It was
1: supposed to be.
0: Well, it it was, and and you know, the fact that everybody else around them picks up on it
1: except them. I mean, I have to admit um, that I stole that a little, or I borrowed it from friends. There's an episode of friends called the one with Russ and Rachel walks into the coffee shop. She's broken up with Ross and she goes into the coffee shop with her new date. and His name is Russ. And he looks exactly like Ross. And he talks exactly like Russ, exactly with all the, you know, the pauses and how long it takes him to get a sentence out. And everybody in the coffee shop, like Chandler notices it and Joey notices it and Phoebe, the only people who don't notice it is Ross who hates Ross. He doesn't know what Rachel sees in him and Rachel. And so I thought that that would just be really funny, but instead of like, you know.
0: I think you kind of flipped it on its head, which was great because you know, yes, neither of them initially sees it in your book either. But they kind of bond with, the, you know, well, I thought he kind of bonded with the guy.
1: Yeah, I don't have them hate each other. You know, because he's a
0: guy. They don't hate each other. The girls are a little bit more standoffish.
1: Yeah, I think that Jude took it in good stride. He thought it was funny, you know, whereas Lolly was like mortified, like just really shocked, you know, and (laughs) Esther's like, you know, your bartenders are like clones. Uh, Jude's kissing a girl who looks just like you. And she's like, not all brunettes with blue eyes look alike. You know, so I, I tried to like feed the clues like slowly, you know, and then have it all come together, come to a head at the anniversary party, which is one of my favorite scenes. When, it, when she finally notices it and realizes it, I thought that that was really fun. And I still like reading it. I mean, I, I've read this book way too many times. I never want to read it again. But there are certain chapters that even when I read them again, I still like, like them, which is a good sign, I guess.
0: It is. And I hope at some point, like a couple of years from now, you'll still pick it up and go, wow, I really enjoy this book. I wrote this book and I enjoy this book. I think that's one of the biggest thrills you can have as an author is that you can pick up your own book and enjoy it again.
1: <laughs> I still enjoy Blogger Girl. I've read it again, that whole series. And I'm like, it's still a fun book. But yeah, I, I'm getting the audio book soon. So I'll I'll still be listening to someone. We'll see what I think when I listen to it.
0: Yeah. Um, as you did in as seen on tv you have an epilogue where you the readers leap with the characters into the future and i thought it was beautifully done and i wasn't i wasn't expecting it so to me it's almost like good you know i get some closure here with what happens knowing just how you left us and then where we pick it up again mm-hmm. had you planned that little ending um all along or did it just come to pretty you?
1: Pretty much. I wasn't positive I was going to do an epilogue this time. And then I was like, you know, romance readers like it. They want to know that everybody's okay. And so I decided to like not usually it's like six months later or a year later and somebody gets engaged, you know. Um, and I wanted to go a little bit farther because I thought it would be really funny if I bring things full circle. And again, I don't want to spoil it, but um it's like Molly and Jude part two. I I knew I wanted to do that pretty, pretty, as soon as I decided I was going to do an epilogue, I knew that that's how I wanted it to go.
0: Good, good. Because I thought it was sort of a perfect, like, life circle. You know, here we are with, uh, you know, the Lion King. (laughs) (laughs) What comes around, goes around. Yes,
1: the circle of life.
0: The circle of life. There you go. (laughs) So what's next? I know that you have a new book coming out next year.
1: Yes, it's due as of today. It's due in, it's due on Saturday the fifteenth. But I am going to turn it in on Friday, and it is right now. It's called Roomating, and it's another enemies to lovers rom com about a Gen Z grad student and part time library page who lives with a seventy year old uh, boomer who offered out her guest room in exchange for like lighthouse work, walking the dog. And there's an actual like, website that, that does pair people like that. When you have a, like an older person who has money and a struggling, you know, Gen Z, you know, college kid who doesn't, they push them together. So the two of them live together. They're very, very happy. And then the roommate's grandson moves in temporarily because he has lost his way. And it's the strange grandma has invited him to stay on the couch while he finds himself. And figures out what he wants to do next. And the two of them, the main character, Sabrina, the grad student, and the grandson, Adam, they butt heads. But then eventually, they fall in love. But it's kind of, it's a roommate. Um, It's it's not opposites attract. It's more of a grumpy sunshine. Sabrina is really, you know, wants to think the best in people. And Adam is a good guy, but he's grumpy. And he's slow to open up. But they bond over reading, and the whole book—it's a love letter to Manhattan, to libraries, and to grandmas. And um, I, I, I'm really proud of it. And it, it's got more New York vibes than any of my other books. And I—I I wonder if that's because, as I was writing it, I was moving out of Manhattan, and for the foreseeable future, it'll be the last book that I write as a Manhattanite. And so it was extra special to me. And I don't think I was consciously doing that, but the energy and the vibes. The appreciation for Manhattan is like, as I'm reading it back, I'm like, yeah, this is like a lot of people said there were a lot of New York vibes and someone just like you. And there are it's set in Manhattan and it, they do all the like the Sunday Funday brunch. And, you know, there's a lot of like Manhattan stuff. But this one is just the love, I think, of Manhattan is a little bit more um, intense.
0: A love letter. Yeah, I think that's great. And, um, you know, you never know. You might be back.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I do think that that I am a New Yorker. And I love where I live now. And I love my space. If I could have this apartment there, I would. I just, I couldn't live in that tiny space anymore. And it's so expensive.
0: Well, you know, when they make someone just like you into a TV show, which is how I envision it, or roommating sounds like right up there with television gold. Yeah. I think you'll get your wish. I think you'll get your wish.
1: <laughs> yeah. I and mean, that's what it would take for me to be able to move back there, having a, my one of my books be made into movies or or hit in the New York Times. So people, please pre-order, because right now I have two jobs and I can't leave my paralegal (laughs) job yet.
0: (laughs) That's okay, you get a lot of fodder from that job, so that's pretty good too.
1: (laughs) That is true.
0: (laughs) Meredith Shore's Someone Just Like You is in bookstores now. This is Josie Brown with Author Provocateur.